Joe, who or, or what first influenced you to start thinking about drawing or, or cartooning? Richard, when I was a child, my, my parents always subscribed to the daily newspaper, and I read the comics, and that's what did it. As far as I remember, of the six children, I was the only one who read the newspaper other than mom and dad, and the only one who read the comics, but Dick Tracy and a comic strip named Okie Dokes were my favorite. So that kind of inspired you. Now, I understand that for a while, and maybe even now, you actually were visiting churches, and you would draw custom images of people. Why did you do that? Actually, um, I've done this for many years, and and the short answer is that churches invite me. Uh, like two weeks ago, a church here in Jackson, Mississippi, where I live, invited me to come to their end-of-the-year uh, celebration, a big dinner, and just sit in the corner and draw people. And I drew around through the program the whole time. And this past weekend, my church, First Baptist Church of Jackson, Mississippi, had four presentations of their Carols by Candlelight program. And for two hours prior, people were gathering, thousands of people, and I sat there drawing people for, for um, eight hours total. So hundreds of people. But anyway, the short answer is that churches invite me to do this, and I love doing it. I do it for schools. I do it for con- conventions. I draw a person in about a minute and a half and just tear I, I put their name on it. I sign it, put the date on it, tear it off, and go on to the next person. How do you keep your wrist from getting sore? Um, you know, when I first started doing this big time, it was probably 35 years ago, and I was drawing all day at Mississippi State University. And at the end of the day, I had drawn 200-and-something people, and both wrists, both hands, need to be in slings. I was feeling so bad, and I, I wonder why my left hand, the right hand I know because I'm drawing, and I realized the left hand had a death grip on the sketch pad. And um, so thereafter, I started doing exercises with my hands so I could do this for hours. So I, and the exercises, I mainly just flex them, just open them, close them, open them, close them. So I walk uh, several miles every day. And, and the whole time, I am flexing my hands. So I never have any problem anymore drawing for hours at a time. I don't have a problem with my hands. What I have a problem with, Richard, is my brain. Because, see, you're concentrating on this person. They get up and move. You're concentrating. They move. You're concentrating. And after about a couple of hours of this, the brain says, hey, man, could we take a rest? You might start blending people together if you, if you weren't careful. <laughs> I, I, told, I told my wife I, uh, when we finished uh, two nights ago, I said, I am amazed that at the end of the time when I am so tired, the drawing still looks good. And I don't take credit for that. I, I pray about it, man. I say, Lord, please lead me. Let me do a good job and uh, bless these people and encourage them and to honor you. So when you are drawing, uh, how do you imagine what I'm talking about with the cartoons for publication? How do you imagine okay. what a character is going to look like? You know, do you, do you kind of see it in your mind first and put the layout together or do you just put it down on paper and see where it goes. It's a whole lot less uh, formal than that. 
generally what I'm thinking, if I have a specific cartoon in mind that I'm going to do, I think, okay, this person's going to be standing with hands on their hip or they're going to be angry or something. And so I just automatically kind of do that. I don't have to think ahead of time about, you know, I will do, this person will look like such and such. And often I am sitting there at the table um, drawing without having a uh, destination in mind, just kind of doodling. And I will realize I like the way this turned out, and then I will decide to do something more with it. Next thing you know, we've got to finish drawing. Now, there's no caption. I don't know where it's going, but I'll lay it off to the side. And I end up, Richard, with a, a stack of these that have no caption. They're just drawings. And from time to time, I will go through them saying, okay, what are you saying? And if I think of what they're saying, then I'll put it on there and color it and put it in an email and send it to the editor. But if I don't, now, uh, one thing I do that's kind of fun is often when I don't have a caption for a drawing, I will put it on my Facebook page and ask my thousands of Facebook friends, okay, what's he saying? For example, the other day I, I had I came across where I had drawn a puppy looking at a duck uh, who was swimming on a swim in a swimming pool in somebody's backyard, and so I had no idea. And the the dog the dog is obviously talking. He's got his mouth open. So I said, "What's the puppy saying to the duck?" I came back later and realized I had about forty answers from my Facebook friends, and most of them were not very good, like he's saying quack, quack, or uh, can you teach him how to swim, mm -hmm. things like this. So it would not make a good cartoon, but sometimes it will prompt something. What I ended up with was the puppy is saying to the duck, don't soil the water. They're having a baptism here this afternoon. <laughs> you, you turned it into a Christian event. Yeah. Yeah, so I and I'm tried. I always try to turn it into something with just a little hook on it, just a little, a laugh, or um, a, if it was a cartoon, it would be an exclamation point above their head, like ah. So when it comes to uh, to publish cartoons, what can a cartoon offer that printed words might not necessarily be able to? Simplicity. You know, editorial cartoonists will tell you that their stuff has one point, just one point. And, of course, people always write into editors saying, well, yeah, he said that in the cartoon, but he left, you know, he, he did not take into consideration the fact that so-and-so. And, of course, the cartoonist answers, it's just a cartoon. Um, but so it can't get complex. It has to be very simple. And the truth is that when people go to a cartoon, they generally – let their guard down, and they just see this as a fun thing. So often you can sneak, sneak something in. Could you give me an example of sneaking something in? Um, okay. Um, I, I noticed one today that came up on my Facebook memory, so I reposted it, and I had done this one several years ago about a kid having cancer. The dad... And the son, the son looks like he's maybe 10, 12 years old, are standing outside a cancer treatment center, according to the sign there. And uh, the kid's got his head kind of wrapped in a 
and one of these handkerchiefs, you know, that tie in the back like people do when they're taking radiation or chemo or something they've lost their hair. And the dad says to the son, cancer is bad, son, but for the rest of your life, you will have a tender spot in your heart for those who suffer from it. Well, Richard, that cartoon has been around the world. I don't know how many thousands of times it has been reprinted because it'll just show up in various publications. And it it doesn't bother me at all that people don't write and ask for permission. I say if it's out there on Facebook, man, it is yours for the taking. I had one from 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 a Catholic publication that used mine. I don't, I don't know if they knew they were using a Baptist cartoon, but uh, it, it was actually something, a cartoon made from something that I said years ago. Now, in the cartoon, this um, woman, man, somebody is appearing before St. Peter at judgment. And in behind St. Peter are the gates of heaven. And Peter is saying, and since you never went to church but watched it on TV, we're not going to allow you to go to heaven, but you, we will let you watch it on television. Now, the truth is, many years ago, I was on the staff of the church I president belonged to now, First Baptist Church of Jackson, the city, and we televised our services every Sunday, still do. And uh, so sometimes people would recognize me on the streets. So this lady came up to me, and she recognized me. So she said, I watch you every Sunday. And I said, where do you go to church? And she said, I don't go anywhere. I just watch it on TV. And without thinking, I blurted out, well, maybe when you die, the Lord won't let you go to heaven, but you'll let you watch it on television. Uh-huh. I've had I, I've had people say, that's a cruel thing to say. I said, well, that was my, that was when I was young and I had to learn to get the barb off of some of my comments. But um, as I say, I have, I put it into a cartoon and that's one that I've noticed that has been reprinted several thousand times. Wow. So do you believe that God has ever given you a specific mission to do this cartoon? It's a it's specific, but it's also general. And that is, I'm to encourage people with these. You know, uh, 25, 25, 30 years ago, my wife and I uh, went through a very difficult time in the church that we were leaving. And so uh, God was faithful to us, and we made a vow to him. And it was a threefold vow that we would uh, live simply, give generously, and encourage pastors. And so that last one, I'm 82 years old, and many, many pastors will tell you that I'm still actively doing that. I get comments, uh, questions, emails from pastors all the time saying, what do I do about this situation? What do I do about that? And I'm delighted to be able to respond to them because anything I can do to help them, man, I want to do it. I, I Sometimes when I'm lying awake at night, I, I go over all the pastors whom I can think of just praying for them individually. And as a pastor yourself, you have experienced obviously many things like you've been talking about, and cartoons can reflect that. Do you, do you sometimes like to point out struggles that pastors are having and that their families are going through, specifically pastors? I do, and I have to be real careful about that. For example, I have scars from deacons. Now, I wrote a book about deacons, and it's getting a lot of plays called Help, I'm a Deacon. And uh, 
And so I saw a lot of these books. But anyway, what I was going to tell you is that I, some of the best people I know are deacons. My son, my oldest son, is a deacon. And so not all deacons are bad, but there are some who are monsters in the church, and they brutalize their pastors. So I don't just take on the deacons, but I try to say something occasionally that God will use to rein in somebody who may be out of line. Another thing I do is I think about what pastors go through. For example, many in our denominations, um, they, they deal with pastor search committees. And so I draw lots of pastor search committee situations, and pastors identify with these. For example, I had one where the committee is sitting around the table, and the pastor, whose hair is a little spiky, says to them, I'd like for you to take my name out of your process. I like my hair the way it is now, and my wife refuses to learn to play the ukulele. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to tell you, um, a friend of mine, a pastor's wife, a friend of mine told me that a pastor search committee was interviewing her and her husband one time. And they said, and Miss Rachel, do you play the piano? And Rachel said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And they said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I don't play the piano. <laughs> So you you sometimes will take on stereotypes and and cliche situations too. Yeah, in the old days, in my earlier days, when I was trying to get uh, publishers of Christian magazines to run my stuff, I would have too much of a barb on these because my my humor could be uh, satire, could be cutting, and I had to learn to rein it in and to be more gentle so that the editors would be not getting a lot of a lot of uh, hostile email from people hostile mail from people the editor of that uh, paper in Oklahoma told me one time that somebody asked him one day what is this McKeever people have against pastors he said nothing he is one that's a good answer <laughs> so in the world of, of cartoons editorial cartoons and so forth who do you admire well, uh, Jim Larrick, L-A-R-R-I-C-K, was many years ago was the editor of cartoons for the Jackson Daily News here in our city. Now, Jim later on went to Columbus, Ohio, and was their uh, editor, uh, a cartoon editor, cartoonist for the uh, Columbus Dispatch, and he became president of the American Association of Editorial Cartoonists, and he's just wonderful. I've got two or three of his originals here at my house that he's given me. And uh, and I think it's about 1996 when that association had their annual meeting in New Orleans where I was living. Jim said, Joe, come down and spend the week with us. And I spent the entire week with these heroes of mine, these people who are nationally, internationally famous for being editorial cartoonists. And on the last day, uh, I, I went out and bought myself a good sketch pad. I would walk around to cartoonists and ask them to draw a president for me, any president. And I got some great Jimmy Carters and Ronald Reagans, even got a Nelson Mandela and everything, and Hoda Kotb on the Today Show. In those years, on those days, she was 
an anchor woman in New Orleans, and she followed me around one night while I was doing that as I was interviewing them and and letting them sketch for me. And then I sketched one of them, and she ended up by saying, and it turns out McKeever is a pretty good sketch artist himself. Well, uh, that's my claim to fame, holy copy. All right. So any thoughts on uh, Charles Schultz and the Peanuts work he did? Yeah, yeah, I love Charles Schultz, love the work they did, and the uh, ones that they did in the last decade of his life, I think, were the best ever because they often had spiritual lessons to them. I have an original by him in early 1980s when I joined the American Association, uh, excuse me, the National Cartoonist Society, NCS. Um, the cartoonists would often swap cartoons with each other, so a number of them sent me cartoonists, cartoons, originals, which I framed and and often have on the wall, but I got too many to cover my walls. And I, by the way, I was going to tell you earlier, when you asked me if I had a favorite, the other favorite I had, and I need to put this in, was Dick Moore's, last name is M-O-O-R-E-S, who drew for, who drew Gasoline Alley, the comic strip. Now, Dick Moore's, Dick Moore's died in 1986, but when he was in his 20s, he worked on Dick Tracy with Chester Gould. When he was in his 30s, he drew uh, in comic books for Walt Disney. And then the last 30 years of his life, he worked. He did uh, Gasoline Alley, which is all my all-time favorite. I was going to tell you, 1979, I was in his studio in um, North Carolina, and he had a he had a, uh, an autographed picture of Walt Disney there on the wall. And I said, did you ever know Walt Disney? He said, I never did, never met him. But he said he was not very interested in the comic books we were drawing. But he said, one of my jobs was to draw that distinctive Walt Disney signature on all the artwork. So he said, a couple of years ago, we had a convention of cartoonists who had worked for him and I saw a stack of these pictures that I tried to pick one up and autographed it to myself. Wow, so he was like an autograph expert. That's interesting. I, I've never heard anything like that. <laughs> autographed Walt Disney name to himself, yeah. I wish I'd asked him to do one for me. Yeah. So when you mentioned Dick Tracy, immediately I thought about someone talking into the watch on their wrist, which you can you yeah, can do that yeah, now, right? Yeah. They do that. They do that. And people used to say to him, he's light years ahead of people. So you're in your 80s now. You're still cartooning. You're still telling people about Christ. Why do you continue doing this, Joe? Because um, that's what God called me to do. You know, I started drawing when I was five, started preaching when I was a senior in college. It's, It's who I am. It's what I do. Tomorrow, my wife and I get up and leave at 7 a.m. and drive three hours to a church in Demopolis, Alabama, where I will be drawing all the seniors there and then bringing a Christmas devotional, eating their lunch, and turn around driving home. And to be able to still do this at 82, what a blessing, what a blessing. And finally, for someone who may be listening to our interview and was curious about cartoons, but doesn't really know much about Jesus or much less have a relationship, what would you tell them about your Savior? What I would tell them, Richard, is that, friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
you are living beneath your privilege. There's just so much more out there for you, and um, and it's available. He has made himself available to you. He says, I stand at your door and knock. It's up to you if you open the door. So what I would do is urge him to get into the Gospel of John and read all 21 chapters at one time, take a couple of hours, and then come back and live in the Gospel of John for the next few months, just reading, read, read chapter one, then go back and read it again. You'll get more the second time than you did the first time. And eventually, you will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that faith comes by the word of God. So that's where it comes from, and that's the starting place. And that's what I would hope and pray for anybody who wants to know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. All right. Joe, thank you so much for sharing with us. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you.